The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I want you to turn to Mark 16. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 18. It's a kind of a funny choice. This particular part of Scripture, in fact, and probably in some of your translations, you'll have brackets around it because there's questions. It, and the reason for that is that it doesn't appear in some of the earlier manuscripts. But the message is exactly the same message we have in Matthew 28 when Jesus gave what we call the Great Commission, except it's, uh, it's worded a little different. I, and the reason I wanted to, to deal with this before I start Second Corinthians is that um, I, I have been burdened about um, the effectiveness in our lives in making disciples for Jesus Christ. And so I've been, I've been reading and thinking and listening and trying to figure out what is the right method. <laughs> you know, what could we do differently? Uh, on Friday, I went to a funeral. And I thought, how stupid am I? It was so obvious in this. This is the best funeral I've ever been to. Uh, and it was uh, the testimonies were amazing of this woman. This was Ruth Hutchins. Some of you uh, know her. And uh, Ruth passed away on the 2nd of January, and her funeral was on Friday. But it was so uplifting because all of these testimonies of people whose lives were impacted in an eternal way because she manifested the character of Jesus Christ in her life. She loved people. If you would have talked to her, you would know real quickly that she doesn't have a whole lot of theological a big theological vocabulary. But she had Jesus Christ, and he had transformed her life, and she had been a faithful witness for him for all these years. And there were people from three different churches. As they moved, they had, were actually a part of different churches at different times. And there were people from every one of those places, except when they lived in Oklahoma, who got up and told about how she was the one that God used in her life to open their eyes to their need of salvation and then the simple gospel that came out of her was exactly the answer they needed. And so uh, I thought, wow, th- th- it's so simple, isn't it? All you have to do is you have to live your life the way that the New Testament calls us to. It's the reason I wanted Steve to read that passage this morning. If you were paying attention, Peter is telling them this is how you should live before the unbelieving world. You should live in a way that manifests the character of Jesus Christ. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. So walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is the atmosphere in which discipleship makes all kinds of sense. It's, it's, if I simply can tell you, I can give you a, an explanation of the gospel, and I can even use some Greek words. It means nothing. Unless there is an atmosphere in which you can see the impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the life of the one who's bringing you the gospel. Peter says we should be ready to give a defense or an explanation is the idea of the hope that lies within us. Well, that assumes that you're living the kind of life that people can see that you have hope. And we're living in a time where there's a lot of hopeless people in the world, isn't there? There's a lot of people that look around and think, man, what's going to happen next? Everything's falling apart. And so when they get exposed to somebody whose life is characterized by hope in Jesus Christ... 
then there's going to be this responsiveness to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ and why I so desperately need it. So I want to look at this passage because I think it's a great launching pad for this very truth. It's a glorious passage. Jesus speaks to his disciples, verse 15, and he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Don't get excited or upset. This is just the Bible. And in fact, there are parts of the book of Acts that these things actually happened. And the whole point is that God is able to validate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he does it all the time in wonderful ways, like a life that has changed. Like a life that's changed so much that a person can see Christ in their life. And they actually hunger and thirst for that kind of peace and that kind of hope. Uh, If you notice, first of all, that we are a sent people. Jesus said in John 20, this this is the upper room. We call it the upper room discourse. It's when Jesus was speaking to his disciples on the night he's going to be arrested. And he's going to be crucified the next day. And in the midst of that conversation, he says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. In other words, he's given us a mission. And here in this text, in the book of Mark, we have an expression of that mission that he has sent us on as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, for almost 2,000 years, it's getting really close now, uh, because this, these words were spoken in about uh, 30 or 35 A.D., right in that period of time. And so we're almost 2,000 years away. And for 2,000 years now, the followers of Christ have been attempting to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus Christ, to the whole world. And the amazing thing is the job's getting bigger instead of smaller, There are actually more people today who haven't heard the gospel and are out of reach of the gospel than ever before in history. We have something like 7 billion people in the world, and about 2 billion people are in in places and in situations where they never hear the gospel. I can remember 20 years ago, we assumed everybody in our neighborhood would understand when we started talking to them about the gospel, they had been exposed to this. If you started singing hymns, they would sing along with you. And of course, that's no longer true. And so the the job that we have now, there's more people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ than ever before in history. In Mexico City, think of this, there's 23 plus million people in that one city. In Tokyo, Yokohama, there's 26 million people. Sao Paulo, it's 26 million. New York and New Jersey, 22 million. Calcutta, 20 million. People who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. More countries are closed to the gospel today than ever before in history that you can't get in. I've mentioned a young couple. I'm not going to mention their name, uh, but they uh, want to go. 
to Muritania. I think that's how you pronounce it. Maybe somebody's heard of this country. It's in West Africa. It's right next to the Sahara. And it's a big desert country. There's only a couple million people there. And it's a Muslim country. And this, this man that I met at a men's retreat a couple, three years ago, um, started. he looked like an 18-year-old kid. He, he actually turned out to be 28. Everybody looks so young to me now. And, uh, and he starts telling me, he gives me a card that's talking about him going to this country in Africa, which is a desert, and the average temperature is 115 degrees. And he shows me this card, and then he showed me these pictures where they had been there for two weeks with his children. He's got three little children. I mean, the, right now, the oldest one's five years old. And they have another one on the way. They're going to have four. And they're going to take those little children. Can you imagine that? Taking those little children into that desert just to preach the gospel in some way. And it's hard to do because you can't do it openly. You have to do it. They're going in with a relief group to dig wells. And through that, they hope to make relationships where they can begin to share Christ. And why in the world? I mean, it's, it's not going to make a whole lot of difference, is it? There's two billion people who haven't heard the gospel. So how many can you tell? How many people could you give the gospel to? It wouldn't put a din in it, would it? You remember that story? You've heard this before. I know this young man's walking along the beach and he's picking up starfish and throwing them out in the ocean. This old man sees him and he walks up and he says, what are you doing? And he said, well, if they stay here, when the sun comes up, they're going to die. And so I don't want them to die. So he's throwing them in. And the guy says, what difference is that going to make? This, this beach is 20 miles long. There's thousands of them. You're not even going to make a dent. It's not going to make any difference at all. And the young guy had this starfish in his hand, and he looks at it, and he throws it out of the water. He says, it'll make a difference to him, to this one. So God has placed you strategically where he wants you to bear witness of Christ. And that's what he's called us to do. That's our mission. But our mission isn't just telling them. Our mission is living in such a way that they can see the evidence of the truth of the gospel. Right? See, it's that I, I have to live in such a way. And I got to tell you, this is, this is a convicting idea. This is a convicting truth. That God actually wants to work in our lives in such a way that our life bears testimony to the truth of the gospel. Paul, in one of his letters, warns women not to live in a certain way so that the gospel would, that God would not be blasphemed. What he meant by that, we can live in such a way and we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ and people will begin to believe lies about Jesus Christ. Oh, is that what he produces? Somebody who is as materialistic as I am has sold their soul to something other than this Jesus that they proclaim? I want you to notice what he says here. There's three things I want to point out. The first is that the command is very specific here in verse 15. The command is specific, and notice what it is, what he says. He says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to all creation. There's three things here. First is penetration, all the world, a very expressive uh, statement. It means the whole package, everything. There's no place that we can't go with the gospel. Uh, I remember when I first came to believe the doctrines of grace, 
And somebody told me that will kill, when you believe in sovereign election and you believe in the perseverance of the saints and so forth, it will, it will squelch your evangelism. Well, then I found out from church history that every area that has been opened for the gospel by someone has been opened by someone who believed in the doctrines of grace. And the reason is, we understand from the word of God that we can go anywhere in the world and there are people there who need to hear about Jesus Christ. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. And so people must receive Jesus Christ in order to receive salvation. That's what 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says. This is God's testimony that he has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son, and whoever has the Son has the life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have the life. So what do we do? We have to proclaim this good news about Jesus Christ and help people understand what they, can, what they must do in order to receive this one who is the Savior of the world, who died in our place. And so there is real urgency here and responsibility implied by this, this statement. As we go, we are to preach the gospel. Um, I don't know if you remember this story. It was back in 1981. It was actually a really unusual story. There was a, a Volkswagen stolen. stolen in, it was in California, actually, but the story came out of Minnesota, Minneapolis, because it was on the radio back there, and people were just scratching their head. This guy, this guy stole a little Volkswagen. It was just a little junker. I saw a couple Volkswagens for sale down the road here for $500 if you need one. And uh, he stole this little Volkswagen. And what happened was the police began staging an intense search for the vehicle and the driver, even though it wasn't worth much. But the reason they did it is that the owner of that vehicle said, there's a box of crackers, cookies, I think they were, in this box on the passenger seat, and they're laced with poison. I was going to use them to poison rats on my property. And he was absolutely terrified that this guy was going to eat these crackers, these cookies, and die. And so they, they put on a campaign to find this guy, to let him know that he needed to contact them to get this car back and to get these, these, these cookies away from him so he didn't kill himself. I mean, think about this. This is the way a lot of people about the, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're running from God because they think they're, they're trying to escape the judgment of God when all the time God has a rescue program that he's sending out messengers to proclaim the truth of salvation in Christ. And you are the messengers. Isn't that amazing? That you are the messengers? That I'm a messenger? That we've been given this glorious truth, the Spirit's opened our eyes to the, to the truth of the gospel? A lot of people have a hard time, I've had people tell me this, they just don't know how to share the gospel, they say. That's, that's amazing to me. Why can you share everything else that you're interested in? I heard somebody telling a story to someone else this morning back there. I forget what the story was about, but obviously it was very animated and interesting. We need to, we need to first of all, learn what the Scriptures teach about the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, the first four or five verses there, you get the whole gospel right there in its little outline. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And he was buried, which proved that he was dead. And he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And he was seen. And he lists a whole bunch of people that saw him. And among them was 500 people at once. 
That's the, that's the heart of the gospel. Now, the gospel, obviously, there's a lot more truth connected to it that gets much broader. Maybe you need to learn to sing a song that bears testimony to the gospel. We sing songs every day that extol the gospel, don't we? I can remember this song we used to sing in church. Most of you, I'm sure, didn't, but it was called Love Lifted Me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. I was in bad, bad shape, but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. I would sing that to you, but my, my voice is a little hoarse. My pitch is a little off. <laughs> um, and then the chorus goes, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. What was that love? It's the love of God that sent his son into the world. It was Christ. He lifted me. Isn't that a great picture of where you were when he, when he saved you? You were sinking deep in sin. And then the second verse goes on. It's kind of a, a continuation of his personal testimony. All my heart to him I give. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a word of thanksgiving and praise, the second verse. All my heart to him I give, over, ever to him I'll cling, in his blessed presence live, ever his praises sing. Love so mighty and so true merits my soul's best song, faithful loving service to, to him belongs. And then the refrain again, the chorus. But then the final one is a word to those who've not yet believed. And it kind of gives you, I'm just saying, if you can't figure out how to share the gospel, then sing a song to them. And if you sing like me, just read the words to them. (laughs) But the third verse says this, souls in danger. It's addressing people whose souls are in danger. There's a judgment day coming, the Bible says. And if I'm not in Christ, I'm headed for a day of judgment. And so he's addressing people who don't know Christ. Souls in dangers, look above. Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea. Billows his will obey. He your Savior wants to be. If you have any question about that, let me assure you, the Bible teaches without doubt that he wants to be your Savior. That's clear. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Matthew 23, 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you like a hen gathers its chicks, but you would not. They rejected him. He wants to be your savior. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? It's kind of like that other truth. He's coming back for you, believer. He's coming back for you. And he's going to deliver you. He, your Savior, wants to be, be saved today. Ah, just an illustration of the fact that, you know what? Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a great difficult thing. What really needs to happen is I need to lead the, live the kind of life that reflects the truth of the gospel. I need to learn how to walk in the Spirit, rest in Christ, and keep myself in the love of the Father. I need to learn how to live the Christian life. Tonight at uh, 5 o'clock, we have our Sunday evening uh, class, Sunday night school. And we're going to wrap up our section we've been doing on sanctification. I got a wonderful chart that I've created over the last three months (laughs) that I'm going to take them through. But next week, we're going to start looking at eschatology, the doctrine of last things. The whole purpose of teaching the Bible, teaching truth, 
is we want the Spirit of God to impact your daily walk so that you have a context in which you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your life. You know, you can't help it. When somebody loves like Christ, when somebody lives like Christ, when somebody reminds you of how the Scripture describes him and the way he dealt with people, it makes you want to understand what's going on with this person. Why are they like this? That's what we heard at this funeral. It was just an amazing uh, bunch of testimony. In fact, Jeannie testified to the very thing that Ruth was one of those people who first brought the gospel to her. But first she showed her the gospel by the way that she loved, the way that she lived. Um, The next thing he does, the next thing about this statement is it, it is proclamation. Proclamation doesn't mean to stand up in front of a bunch of people and yell. What it means is to authoritatively bring a message that you have absolute confidence that this is exactly what God wants you to communicate to people. It's a binding duty that we have. In fact, the the grammatical structure of this is it's, it's a command to us. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't, you know, when you get old and you can't do anything else, maybe you ought to start sharing the gospel. No, this is a command to all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And it's a very specific message. It's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. The power of the gospel is seen in what it produces in lives. That's why it's so important for us to live and to walk in the Spirit. And he mentions baptizing and teaching. Uh, it's, that's Matthew 28, when he says, you bring them to the place where they will be baptized, which means they come to believe the gospel. They believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead, and they profess him as being Lord and Savior, and they bow to his authority by being baptized in his name. It's a picture of you coming under the authority of Christ. And the last thing is persistence. It says to every creature, you're never going to run out of people to share the gospel with. I can assure you of that. I have actually been at the bedside of people that were dying. And in their final hours, they're witnessing to the truth of the gospel to people. It's an amazing way to die. Someone who has absolute confidence in Christ. When they pass out of this life. It's... It rings so true because this is what 2 Corinthians 5 says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for the believer. When you leave this body, you are immediately find yourself in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is this persistence, and we continue to, uh, to, to pursue this glorious mission that God has given us, that he's going to bring people into our life. He's going to put people in our path that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I really do believe that the thing that will pique their interest is what Christ is doing in your life. I remember it's, it's one of those things where, because it never stops, that you would think, well, boy, I'd really get tired of this. This is what I'm supposed to do all my life is tell people about Jesus? Yes. Yes. And you know what? You're going to have a lot of people who say, I'm not interested. And Jesus gave us instruction. When somebody says to you, I'm not interested, then don't force it on them. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And that, he's, not, he's not 
He's not being mean. He's simply saying, if they don't appreciate this glorious truth of the gospel, then move on. Maybe they will be, maybe God will work in a way that they'll be interested at some other time, but keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to fail at it. Uh, and if you think that you can develop some method, like we sometimes we'll teach classes on how to witness, and we think, oh, this is it. Now I know the method. I know how to do it. I've got all the questions down. And I've got the presentation that's so easy to understand. But you're going to fail in the sense that it's not really a failure, but because the Apostle Paul says, when I preach the gospel, it is an aroma to God that he loves. It's aroma either of death unto death, that is the person who says, no, I don't want it, or of life unto life to those who believe it and are changed and are brought into the kingdom of God. You remember that Monday night football game when I think it was Walter Payton was still playing, so some of you weren't even alive then, but uh, they were talking about, you know, he had ran for something like, what was it? It was amazing how, how many yards he gained during his career. Uh, he accumulated a, over nine miles of rushing in his career. And Dandy Dan says, yeah, not only that, but he, fe- he got knocked down every 4.6 yards. And he got back up. Yeah, you're going to have people. And if you're worried about being embarrassed because somebody doesn't want to hear what you have to say, you need to stop that. It's okay. You don't want to be overbearing. You don't want to be uh, a person who drives people nuts because that's the only thing you have ever to talk about. But when you have opportunity, when God opens the door for you to be able to communicate to them the truth of the gospel that has transformed your life, this is a great opportunity. You know, go to a few funerals. Uh, Solomon said, it's better to go to the house of mourning. It's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. Because when you go to a party, you get a very false view of reality. But when you go to a funeral, you're faced with your own mortality. And you realize one of these days, you're going to be in that casket. And what are they going to say about you? Oh, they'll say a lot of nice things. R.C. Sproul says the, the most popular view of justification, that is, how do you get right with God? He said the most, po- the most popular view of justification is by death, justification by death. Because have you noticed that as soon as a person dies, they're, most, they're the most wonderful person in all the world? <laughs> but if we actually live in the Spirit, we live a life where Christ is manifested, what people see will be burned into their memories. I was so touched by the testimony of a grandson of Ruth's that came to Christ through her, and uh, as he testified about it and then preached the gospel to us in essence, I thought, wow, what a, what a glorious truth. I know she's not looking down. She didn't see it, but what a wonderful testimony. That'd be my favorite thing if I could leave, lead one of my grandchildren to faith in Christ. What a glorious privilege. Well, the consequences, the command is specific and the consequences are serious. If you notice in verse 16, it says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has, not, has, not, has disbelieved, has not believed, shall be condemned. So to the one who's believed and has been baptized, salvation. I think, wait a minute, is this salvation necessary? Well, salvation, there's, never, there's no such thing as a Christian in the New Testament that hasn't been baptized. 
That's just the normal response to faith in Christ. It's a public demonstration that, yes, I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that his death was for me, that, that he was raised from the dead and that my debt has been paid. I believe that when I was sinking deep in sin, far from the, the, the shore, that he came and he lifted me up and he saved me. And so it's a submission to him as Savior. Salvation is individual, you know. Uh, it's great when whole families get saved, and that happens. It happened with a Philippian jailer. But it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes a person comes to faith in Christ, and it alienates them from their whole family. They don't want any part of it or of them any longer. But salvation is individual, and salvation results in obedience. Salvation results in obedience. You gotta write that down in your notebook. Salvation results in obedience. There's no such thing as salvation without obedience that follows. In fact, when you believe the gospel, you're obeying the gospel. That's what the Bible says. The gospel says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. So when you believe upon him, which means not just to believe it's true, but to put your trust in him, this living Savior. That's an act of obedience, and what follows is a life of obedience. And so you're not upset with the fact that he has given you a mission, that the church is on mission. He has sent us into the world to preach the gospel. Why is baptism so important to the proclamation of the gospel? Well, it reflects the meaning of the gospel and the salvation it brings. It's an identification with Jesus Christ. I'm saved in Christ. When I, am, when I was immersed, I was 14 years old, over here at a church on, on the highway in Brentwood, in Oakley, rather. When I was baptized, it was a picture of the fact that when I believed, I had been placed into Christ. And so all that Christ is, is now mine. I'm clothed in Christ, as Paul puts it, in my standing before God. It's a glorious truth. And so, this, the con- condemnation is to the one who has disbelieved. That is, the person who says, I don't want any part of it. I don't want Christ. See, there's only salvation in Christ. So if you don't want Christ, then you don't want his salvation. What's the other side of salvation? It's condemnation. It's a judgment against us. And then the confirmation of the supernatural. This is kind of scary for people. They read this. This must not be in the text. This has got to be an addition or something. But listen to this. This actually happened in history. All these things he mentions. Remember the the story of Paul? He got bit by a serpent that they said, this will kill him in 10 minutes. Nothing happened. Why? Because God was protecting him. I know that sometimes you think, "I'm, I'm so afraid to share the gospel, I'll have an anxiety attack. Uh, God can actually uh, keep that from happening. So as these signs will accompany those who have believed in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And of course, that's exactly what did happen. Hebrews chapter 2 said, as the gospel went out through the apostles, God was confirming their eyewitness account of Jesus' resurrection through signs and wonders and diverse distributions of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you the greatest miracle I've ever seen. It's changed lives. Lives that are transformed by the power of the indwelling Christ. Christ. 
It's glorious. And it's so impressive. It's, it impresses your heart so profoundly. I can remember when I was, a, I was probably about 14 years old, 13, 14 years old, and my cousin and I, uh, this young lady in the church, she was probably at that time maybe 20 years old. But she would constantly tell us about youth meetings that she wanted us to go to. And so she took us there in her car. And she had a really cool car. Her, her boyfriend was a, a real hot rodder. You know, he, she had this incredible car. And so she would drive us to these places. I remember driving us all the way to Santa Cruz to this youth meeting. She wanted us to hear the gospel. And she talked to us about Christ all the way down there and all the way back. Because she wanted us to know the truth about Christ. I haven't seen her in so many years. I was thinking the other day, I had to try to find her if she's still alive (laughs) and just tell her what an incredible impression it had on me for her to care care enough about us little snotty-nosed kids that she wanted us to really understand the gospel. John 3.36 says, He who believes has eternal life. He who does not believe is not, rather, says, he who believes is not condemned. He who has not believed is already condemned, and the wrath of God is hovering over him. The, the Greek there actually says the wrath of God is moving towards him. There's a day of judgment coming, and Christ came into the world to save us from that judgment. In fact, in Romans 5, Paul says, if we are saved by his death, for justified by his death, we shall be saved by his life. He's going to deliver us on the day of judgment. He's coming back for us. The next thing I want you to think about is this, and that is that I wonder where God wants me to go. He's given us this mission. Where does he want you to fulfill the mission? Does he want you to go to West Africa or maybe China? Well, that's not the right question. I want you to think about it this way. The question is, not where should we go, but where are we? Where are you every day? You're somewhere. You're there and not somewhere else, right? And so you're in a certain place, and you're with certain people, and we ought to, what our question should be, am I fulfilling the mission that I am on? Are we fulfilling the mission where we are? You know, the people that God has brought into your life, You're right in the midst of him. Are you being faithful to the mission? Do you understand your own mission? Do you understand that you've been given the Holy Spirit so that your mouth has become anointed, according to 1 John 2? You actually have good news to tell. Anybody can talk about the Republicans and the Democrats. Anybody can talk about ISIS, all the junk that's going on in the world. But you can tell them about a living Savior. You can tell them there is a way to be saved, a way to be brought into a relationship with a living God, the way to have your sins forgiven and new life, to have the very life of God in them. And so you're a mouthpiece for God. Are you fulfilling your mission? All of us have done this where we have learned how to act in such a way that people would never be suspicious that we were Christians. The second thing we have to think about is Christ is with us as we go. In Acts chapter 18, Paul takes the gospel to Corinth, and right away he's on the verge of being arrested and punished for doing it. And if you remember what happened that night, Jesus appears to him, and he says to him, I don't want you to be afraid. Keep on 
doing the work of the gospel, for I'm with you. And I have many people in this city. What he meant by that was not, I have a bunch of people that will protect you. That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, I have a bunch of people here that are going to come to faith as you proclaim the gospel. Wherever you're at, there are people there who are going to come to faith in Christ. And then the third thing is this commission will be fulfilled. This commission is going to be fulfilled. He's going to move in the hearts of his people and the mission is going to be fulfilled. Uh, notice this, 1 Corinthians 1. But by his doing, you are in Christ. That was, if you're in Jesus, you are in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, it is by his doing. That's, that's really important you remember. If you're in Christ Jesus, it's because he did it. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's the only boast a Christian has, is that God, God did this. He put me in Christ. He broke me. He brought me to the end of myself. And then he opened my eyes to the gospel. It was like so unexpected. And then this Revelation chapter 5, it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll. This is speaking to the Lord Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll to break its seals, for you were slain. He died on the cross. And you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Wherever you are every day, you're around people from one of the tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations of the world. Right? You're around people. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you work, you know, working with dogs and you never talk to a human being, but if you're around human beings, you're talking to somebody from one of the tribes, tongues, people, nation. One of the tongues referring to a particular language group. Tribe, are the, the, it's the smallest unit here. Uh, where, whoever, wherever you're going, you are among people who need to hear the gospel. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. I love this truth that Jesus, by his death, has made it a reality that out of every tribe and tongue and people group on the face of the earth, are there going to be those who inhabit the kingdom of God? Jesus is a savior, and he's Lord, and he's able to save. I couldn't save anybody but I'm amazed that God included me in this group that have been sent to take the message of salvation in Christ. And I love the fact that it's the Holy Spirit who convinces the heart. I've never been able to convince anybody's heart. But the Spirit of God can. And when he convinces your heart, and all of a sudden you see the truth of who Jesus Christ is, and you rest your hope upon him, then he'll send you too. And that's what he's done with all of us who are believers. We're on mission. And it doesn't, you don't have to go to Muratanya or Uganda or even Mexico. You could, actually, you could actually be on mission right here and to be a gospelizer, somebody who can give an explanation of the hope that lies within them. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray. Our Father, 
we uh, bow before you now. We are grateful for the, the power of the gospel to save. We thank you for all the testimonies we've heard. Uh, I think of all the people I've heard give, bear testimony to the fact that the Spirit came in a situation in power and opened their eyes and opened their heart and convinced them of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And they believed. They received it as a gift. They received this glorious work of salvation as a gift. And they began to manifest the reality of that in the way that they lived and responded to life. God, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts our need to walk in the Spirit, to learn how to live the Christian life so that we do manifest the reality of the gospel in the way we live and not in just the words that we speak. God, use us. We long to, to be a part of this mission that you've put us on and to be intentionally engaged in it. So impress this upon our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.